This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me again on the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today, I am talking with Jennifer Scribner, and we're going to talk about toxicity, how to have a less toxic home and a less toxic environment um, for kids with ADHD also applies to kids with autism, um, really applies to any child. You know, this, this is a good thing for everyone, but a lot of our kids have some genetic polymorphisms that make them less able to detoxify as far as their physiology. And so I wanted for Jennifer to share some of this good information with you so that you can start down this path of just having a less toxic environment for your child. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. Why don't you start by just telling us who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and a GAPS diet practitioner. So I primarily started out in the field of nutrition, working with therapeutic diets with kids. And then Upon that, I kind of stumbled into how much a non-toxic lifestyle matters. And so I started digging into that, looking at the genetic polymorphisms, like you mentioned, and that took me down the whole road of how do we control what we can control in our day-to-day environment with our kids to just decrease what they come in contact with and have to deal with every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so the the biggest um, polymorphism that has to do with kids with ADHD and autism as far as detoxifying would be MTHFR. Um, I think COMT might have something to do that with that as well. It's part of that neurogenomic profile of genetic testing that you can do. Um, so I just wanted our listeners to know maybe more specifically what we were talking about and, and to mm-hmm. get tested for that, you can do um, just a swab test with a lot of different um not pharmacies, a lot of different labs um, offer that and you can do it mail order. They'll send you a kit and you can send it back and find out that information. Um, Things like 23andMe that a lot of people know. Also, you would get that information from that as well. So um, why don't we start by maybe some of the, the biggest offenders? What do we have to look out for the most as far as toxicity? Yeah. And one thing I want to mention talking about that testing is the genetic SNPs are a roadmap. So you want to look at that in the context of everything with your kid. And it's always important to bring down the toxicity within our homes and lifestyles. But just because you have a SNP doesn't mean that your child is greatly affected by that. There can be variations. So before you go down the supplement road, you want to look at other things too. Um, But when it comes to the household, the first places that I look with people is the laundry room because our detergents and particularly fabric softeners are the biggest source of toxins within most of our homes. Interesting. And that is because they have added fragrance and they add a lot of things to our clothes. When you have that smell for 30 days that's advertised or 
you need to go do that second step of washing is the latest thing I've seen. What those promises are is that they are putting things onto the clothes, leaving a residue that the kids are carrying around, breathing in. It's absorbing into their skin as they're wearing those things all mm-hmm. the time. And it doesn't just show up as skin conditions, which that's how a lot of people find out about it is that we have a patch of eczema or kids are getting a rash, right. but you don't have to have that to be absorbing and taking these things into the body and to be affected by them in ways that might show up more neurologically, for instance. Yeah. And, you know, some of our kids with ADHD chew on their clothes a lot. A lot of them have a kind of an oral motory, oral mm-hmm. motor sensory thing. I know my son, when he was younger, did it a lot. And so, you know, that that's even a way that they're ingesting that stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and some people will argue when they're, when we're ingesting something, at least we go through a digestion process and the body is kind of picking and choosing what might get absorbed. But when something is on the skin and it gets absorbed that way, there's no other, you know, detox system before it hits the bloodstream. It just kind of gets absorbed. And we think of our skin as a barrier and it is to a point, you know, but we have pores and we have, um, you know, the mucous membrane or sorry, the membrane that can absorb things in. That's part of what our skin does. And so we don't have safety, you know, just because our skin is there. It's not like a piece of plastic that's stopping everything from coming through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about the fact that that really goes straight into the bloodstream without being kind of filtered out like something that you would ingest. And that's why they're using a lot of medications topically or in patches now, because it is such a great way to get that stuff in and it Mm -hmm. bypasses digestion. So for people who have compromised digestion, they use that as a route to bring things into the body. So that lets you know how important that process is and how effective that is. Yeah. In ADHD land, there's a medication called Daytrana, which is the patch. It's a patch. It's transdermal. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. I just never kind of put all those things together and thought about it in that way. So what is another what are some other things that uh, are sources of toxins that um, we may not be aware of or may not be really focusing enough attention on? The next biggest thing in the home, and this is my biggest pet peeve, is the scent diffusers. And so that Mm -hmm. can be the plug-ins, some of the burners, some things that will describe themselves as essential oils that are not essential oils, which I, I do recommend using pure essential oils. But you have to really look at the packaging and see what the things are because most of them are home fragrance oils and they there's no regulation on the packaging of that type of stuff of what those terms mean what an essential oil is what if you know fragrance doesn't have to be defined so be look very carefully at the marketing of these things versus what's really in them because most of that has what's called phthalates and they are not listed on the label. They're in anything that says fragrance and they are things that can disrupt the hormone system. They're things that can get into our neurology and cause, you know, more overstimulation. And so when we're talking about ADHD and autism, a lot of what we look at is sensory inputs and being overstimulated. And this is another chemical signal that can do that within the brain that many of us are just 
you know, unknowingly kind of pumping in the air because we want it to not smell like dog in our house or, right. <laughs> you know, we want it to smell pleasant. So that's really an area that needs to be tossed out. That's my, my biggest pet peeve that I ask people throw those things away immediately. But essential oils, like pure essential oils are okay to use as fragrance, like in a diffuser. Yeah, that's what okay. I suggest people switch to because there's a lot of really good quality options mm -hmm. for that. And you can make a lot of really pretty scents as well. And in addition, essential oils will have other benefits where they can be calming to the mood and the nervous system and they can kind of, you know, help focusing at homework time. So rather than just being a pretty smell, they can have a benefits beyond that. Yeah, we use it sometimes at night um, for my son to help him go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And he actually likes citrus for that, which was counterintuitive to me. Um, yeah, but works for him. So yeah, that's something orange can be really calming to mm -hmm. a lot of people and uplifting. And so we think of it as something that's that's gonna make us feel up. But for many people, it's very calming. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the wild orange that he uses mm -hmm. for sleep. Um, mm -hmm. So other areas where we are kind of drowning in toxins and don't realize it? Well, one of the ones that's close to my heart, of course, as a nutritional therapy practitioner is within our food system. Mm -hmm. And there's some obvious ones that we might be looking at with kids with ADHD, like some of the food colorings and that kind of stuff. But there can be other things within there that we have to look a little bit deeper because we don't know what something is or what it's derived from. And so I'm a big fan of having food without labels, because if they're starting to label right. it, it's getting pretty, it's getting processed. So the food without labels, food that has ingredients that you would understand the things that you could find in your own kitchen, when it goes beyond that, then we're getting into man-made stuff that can, again, we don't know how that might be affecting our kids. In some cases we do have studies on it, but I always like people to look at their kid as an individual and see, okay, if we switch out this yogurt that has this additive for something that's more plain and we add our own berries to it, is there a noticeable difference in our kids' behavior in their, you know, sense of self when we make that switch and kind of looking at these things like an experiment? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that, um, I, we get a lot of buy-in from our kids when we look at things as an, as an, as an experiment as well. You mm -hmm. know, when we're trying to include them, that seems to be one thing that works for a lot of kids to get them to engage and be excited about something. So we can always include them by using that or most of the time anyhow. Um, and connecting them with how they feel. Like that is something a lot of, of of adults don't really do. I certainly didn't think about the way food made me feel until I went and studied nutrition. But when we're eating certain things and we are, you know, having a tantrum later or especially with things like sugar or the artificial colors, like being able to connect kids with, OK, well, we chose to have that. And then how did we react to that or how did we feel after that? Did it give us a stomach ache? Did it change our focus and behavior? And getting them to internalize and get in touch with that, because that's something that's there when you're not around. You don't need to police your kids food all the time if you can get them to recognize and go by how they really feel and how food yeah. makes them feel. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, it does take conversations about that, um, mm-hmm. especially kids with ADHD don't always make those connections automatically. And so the more mm-hmm. we talk about it with them, the more um, success that we'll have in having them. Um, I used to when my son was younger. Now he's a teenager and he's lost a lot of interest in, in, in his food ingredients. We're trying to work on that. But um, when he was mm-hmm. littler, I would have him in the grocery store help me look for the things that we knew were triggers for him, like red 40 and other artificial colors and um, nitrates. And, you know, I would hand him something and say, okay, let's look at this and see, is it something that's good for you or not good for you um, in that regard in an ingredient perspective? Um, yeah. So, you know, we can make it fun for the younger kids, too, and really get them to a point later where they're actually thinking about it on their own and they're they're concerned about what they're eating and they're going to do that investigation. Yeah, absolutely. And when the kids get older, it does tend to be more about are they having acne? Are they feeling socially uncomfortable and how food makes them you know, mm-hmm. feel in that situation, they have a different motivation. So they might be, feel like, oh, well, my friends are eating these things. So I don't want to care so much about these ingredients. Right. But how can we connect it to what's important to them now? And often it's things related to social situations or things yeah. related to appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important too, is to find their motivation. And we talk about that in a lot of ways with ADHD and motivation, because it is more difficult, um, especially to get kids with ADHD motivated on things that they, um, they're not really interested in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it always comes down to what are they interested in? What is their currency? What is their motivation? And that certainly works in this instance as well. One question that I had for you about toxicity was about our cooking um, equipment, our Mm. pots and pans. And um, then, you know, we know to worry about BPA and plastic containers. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a whole other eye-opening area for me in switching out cookware and kitchenware. And one of the biggest culprits in the kitchen is nonstick pans because Mm -hmm. they are putting off, they're off-gassing when they're heated beyond a certain point. And there's a whole other part of the manufacturing of them, which is like a whole other issue that's very toxic and very unsafe to the people who do that work. But within our own kitchen, as these things heat up, we're breathing them. That stuff is cooking into food. Even before it's scraped, when we, you know, we'll hear like, oh, if it gets scratches, that's when it's bad. But it's actually an issue before that, too. And a big stopping point for me was I didn't really know how to cook without nonstick pans and without a microwave. So I had to Internet school myself on how to reheat food in a, you know, stainless steel skillet and how to not have things stick when I cooked like eggs. So that's just a part of having to kind of educate ourselves. And I also think it's as much as we can ditching plastic because we keep finding things wrong with plastics. Yeah. Um, Silicone seems to be standing the test of time, but even then it's not something that I go to if I have an alternative. But when we took, when we, you know, had the BPA 
in the plastic and found out that's a hormone disruptor and we're absorbing that and that's messing up with our endocrine system. And, and this matters even before our kids hit puberty because hormones aren't just our sex hormones. They're also hormones of digestion. There's hormones that regulate our energy system. So it's a really mm-hmm. widespread of things. So we were like, okay, well, let's find this other alternative to BPA. And now there's problems cropping up with that as well. So it tends to be once things come in widespread use that they start being studied more, that we find more problems with them. So switching over to something like mason jars or the glassware containers that have the snap-on lids, Mm -hmm. that those things can make a really big difference, especially when you're reheating food and not having it heated in a plastic that's going to off gas and off, you know, put chemicals into your food, sort of like we're wearing the stuff from our fabric softener. That same thing is happening when we're heating foods in plastics. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's something I learned a while back from our integrative um, doctor was about heating the plastic because, you know, we, we put our leftovers in plastic, then we put the plastic container with the food in it in the microwave and we heat it and we're just mm-hmm. adding insult to injury in that respect. Um, and then you put it in the dishwasher and that heats it up and that off gases too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a full cycle of using it. That's just problematic. And it's such an easy thing to switch out. It's just one container for another. So it's just a matter of kind of, you know, maybe going to Costco and getting a pack of something new to yeah. replace plastic stuff. And, you know, people can transition over time. It's not that I think either Mm -hmm. you or I expect them to march into their kitchens after they listen to this and start tossing every pan and plastic container. Um, Yes. You know, improvement is good. It took me a couple of years and it was something that I had a budget for. And one of the other things is when you make that transition, especially with better quality stainless steel pans, um, I had one pan for about three years and we just used it for everything, but it was so high quality and it was easy to clean. And we learned to work with it so well that that was enough for us. We didn't need to get the whole set when you have a couple of nice things. Like we had three nice knives. Um, you, you get so much mileage out of those things and cooking and preparing food is so much more convenient that it's worth making that investment because you're upgrading your whole food experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, and less is more, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, we could all probably have a lot less in our Tupperware drawers. and <laughs> Yeah, less gadgets. cabinets, <laughs> you know, the ones that you open and everything falls out. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, people can just transition over time, a little bit at a time, whatever they can do. And I, I'm a big believer in baby steps. Whatever you can do, if you're doing mm-hmm. something and you're moving towards a goal, you're doing well. Um I was going to ask you, too, a couple of questions, one about organic versus not organic, um, and then also about the quality of our bedding, and Mm. um, because I've heard different things about both of those, but obviously, I think if we could all eat just organic, that would be great, but Mm. (laughs) most people cannot go to the grocery and feed a family completely organically. It's just cost prohibitive. So I wanted to know what your recommendation is there. Um, I've seen the dirty dozen list um, Mm -hmm. with the things that you should really try to always have organic. What, what do you advise? I think when you're making changes with food, 
just eating more whole foods of any quality Mm -hmm. is a step up. So if organic is completely without, you know, without your, or with uh, outside of your reach, but you can learn to cook a little bit more and you can, you know, just make more things from scratch, you're going to be healthier no matter what. So to me, that's step one. I also do look at the environmental working group, dirty dozen and clean 15 list, and they have a phone app as well. So Mm -hmm. that can be a great place to start and, and see, you know, which things matter most. I heard a really interesting talk recently where someone, this doctor was actually advocating that the animal products aren't as important to have organic as the vegetable products because the animals have a detoxification system. So at least they are taking things in and, you know, sorting through and detoxifying them, whereas our vegetables tend to just be more absorptive. So I don't know if I'm 100% sold on that idea, but that really got me thinking. And it's really making the best choices we can. So if you're doing something like juicing and you're really concentrating a lot of veggies and fruit, then I'm, I think organic is important because it is that concentration. Yeah. But otherwise it's doing what works for you and, and the less processed and the less other stuff something has in it, you're still going to see a difference and feel a difference in your health and your child's health. Um, but I, I mean, organic is the ideal and, and really local knowing your farmer is the ultimate ideal. And, and sometimes that can make it cheaper than it is otherwise. So for us here, we can get a meat share where we can get an eighth of a cow and it's cheaper than buying an organic meat at the grocery store. So we have to get, you know, a shopping bag worth and put it in the freezer, but that makes more economic sense. And we had to juggle some things to get started down that path. But again, these are like little steps that you can take Mm -hmm. in slowly shifting. And it took us a long time to make those transitions as well. Yeah. And there's farmers markets now everywhere, it seems like. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I don't live in a super big town. Asheville is, you know, 800,000 or so, maybe a little more than that now. And we probably have at least 10 different farmers markets at different times and locations. So it seems like in most areas you really can. And there are some um, CSAs, I think it's called, where you can, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like investing in a local farm and then you get a box every week or two um, straight from the farm. So there's lots of different creative ways that you can do that. Um, Yeah. But that's why I like the dirty, go ahead. One thing that I did was I volunteered at our food co-op for five years and that gave me a discount. And I've heard of other people doing that with the local farmer's market where they will volunteer a few hours a week Mm. and get a discount or get to know farmers and and get to arrange different discounts and deals that way. So there are ways that you can be creative to make this more ideal food fit Mm -hmm. into your budget and your lifestyle. Yeah, I like that idea. That's really creative, because I'm sure a lot of those farmers that are having these stands would love a little break every now and then and be willing to make an exchange or something for it, I'm sure. And even going at the end of the day where people have stuff they don't want to take back with them, that's Mm -hmm. another time when I've gotten deals where they don't want to drive that food home. So they're more willing to, you know, do a two for one or kind of bargain on a bulk amount of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Um, 
And I was going to say, you know, I like the Dirty Dozen list, and now there's apps, as you mentioned, for that. But it helps you prioritize when you can't do everything, when it's just not feasible for you. It helps you know what's most important to focus Mm -hmm. on um, as far as organic or that sort of thing. So I would encourage people to look into that um, that list or those apps because I think that's a really good place to start. And it's really easy. You know, the list is 12 things. It's kind of easy to take the little list with you to the grocery store, pay attention, and over time you just know, you know, it becomes ingrained. Um, and then maybe you step out a little bit further if you can and, um, you know, get there that way. But I think yeah. that those are really great tools for people who don't have the information who or don't have the time to research or who aren't nutritionists or, you know, I mean, it, it's so much information out there and, and to um, kind of be so picky about every product, you know, to really look through every single product is hard. Um, So I love that there's all these apps now that you can you can scan the barcode of a product in the grocery store and get a rating or get, you know, a warning or whatever. I know different apps work different ways, but I think that's Mm -hmm. really empowering as consumers to be able to have that information at our fingertips and then we can make better decisions much more easily and without as much effort, honestly, you know, we're all busy. And, and so that's, you know, those little things really help to make these kind of transitions. Yeah. And this stuff is my life. And I don't always look at every single thing either. So you have to find the balance of what works for you and Mm -hmm. just keep taking one more step. You know, like you talk about taking the the small steps. I am all about that too. Like, let's just take one more step in the direction that we're heading so that we'll get there. And it's, it really does add up where I started from eight or nine years ago versus where we are now. We have a whole different kitchen. We have a whole different system of buying food and we feel so much better Mm -hmm. with at our home that is a non-toxic, you know, it feels like an oasis that we come back to and it's taken many, many steps to get here, but you, you feel the difference now. It's not just for later. It's not just one of those, I'm not going to have cancer someday wishes. (laughs) It's the present moment stuff too. Yeah. The better you feed your body, the better it's going to perform. And so it's going to feel better overall. Um, And you have to find the balance that you're not making yourself crazy because sometimes there's so much that goes on in our world now that you can, you know, there's times mm -hmm. where I'm like, I just want to wrap myself in tinfoil and live in a cave. Yes. Give (laughs) me a bubble. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, when we start thinking about all these things, then we feel so overwhelmed, like it's not possible to make such a giant shift. And that's why I really wanted to talk a lot in this episode about the fact that you can make small changes, you can work toward it. And that then, you know, that overwhelm isn't so much of a barrier anymore. Um, Because I'm certainly guilty of that. And I have analysis paralysis a lot. I can't Mm -hmm. make a decision because I'm afraid to make the wrong one. And like with the pans, you know, when my son, uh, when we found out about the MTHFR and stuff, and 
And then integrative med stock was like, okay, you've got to change your cookware. You've got to change this and that. And I would go to the store and I'd be looking at this wall of pans and I'm like, but I still don't know what to pick. I still am Mm -hmm. confused, you know? And so it's just little bitty things at a time. And so I just got one and I started with that to see, because I had the same issue. Is everything going to stick? Am I going to be able to cook in this stuff? And, and I do still have a lot of issues with that, but it's getting better. You know, you learn over time. Um, how those pans work differently but um you know it's just little bits yeah and one really simple thing especially as it relates to mthfr this was something i learned was we have gas stove for cooking here and when gas burns really dirty at the source so a very simple thing i learned is just to turn on your fan every time you turn on your stove and that in itself is like something any of us can do it doesn't require any extra equipment but you know opening up a window, turning on a fan, like those are simple things you can do with no money that can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, in our house, we have a recirculating fan over our stove. And I think a lot of people end up with that, especially with the microwave up there. But yeah, if you can pay attention to stuff like that, too, and make sure that your vents in your home are venting outside and not recirculating um, and it filters, but it's really not nearly as good as actually having it venting out Mm -hmm. um so the other thing i wanted to touch on because i'd heard a lot about it is bedding and um like toxicity in mattresses and Mm -hmm. different stuff like that and i know you can get organic bedding and i think that's probably along the same lines as you know not putting fabric softener on your clothes you know Mm -hmm. whether there's chemicals on your sheets or not but why don't you um share a little bit about that. Yeah, this was something, the mattress question, we saved up for a year and had a very uncomfortable mattress because we wanted to get something really natural and comfortable. And so we switched over to a natural latex mattress. And, you know, one thing when you, if you have something now that you've had for a while, it's usually fine. It's off gassed and, you know, it's more so when you're needing to make that new buying decision that you plan accordingly and do research. So there are organic um, cotton type mattresses. There are latex mattresses and they'll have some different features. So those are a couple of styles to look at. And when it comes to bedding, it can be really hard to find a good quality organic that's especially affordable, Mm -hmm. but at least just doing a cotton bedding, not doing something that has an extra finish on it, because if things are made to not wrinkle, if things are stain resistant, that means it has another coating on it and that's going to wear off over time. And that's going to be, you know, something you're breathing or rolling around in while you're sleeping. So those are the things to be aware of is get even just the simplest type of bedding you can that's made with organic. Always wash everything before you use it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when you can afford and find an organic bedding, that's, again, the ideal. But there are steps in between the cheapest thing you can find and the organic ideal. And you can simplify that a little bit by just having a simple cotton 
Yeah, when you said off-gassing, it reminded me of the new car smell. That's what I would equate it to because yeah. I hate the new car smell. It gags me. Like, I feel like I can't breathe. <laughs> and I think that's why is it's all that new treated stuff is off-gassing in this yep. tiny little enclosed space. And But the same thing you'll notice when you unwrap different things in your home. Sometimes you get that really overwhelming smell like that and that's what it is it's things that are off-gassing that are toxic um, mm-hmm. and we could talk about like if you're going to paint inside your house to use low VOC paints because they mm-hmm. have less of those volatile compounds that are going to off-gas out of the paint I mean that's why paint regular paint smells bad it's the yeah. chemicals that are coming out of it and the low VOC is pretty standard and available now. So that's yeah. really nice when it comes to, you know, getting a carpet or a rug or new furnishing, you, you, know, you unwrap and you have that smell. If you can set it out in the yard for a day or put it in the garage for a couple of days and let some of that smell seep out before you yeah. move it into your house, that makes a difference. And be, if you're in a, you know, time season and an area where you can have the windows open, that's always going to be great to, you know, let this stuff get out of the house so it's not trapped with we're not trapped with these off-gassing items all the time yeah yeah so what other items are on your list we're starting to come toward the end of our time and I want to be sure that you've had the opportunity to mention everything that um, you think our audience should know about this topic I think the things that people use the most are where to look first So that might be your household cleaner or the wipes that you're using on your counter all the Mm -hmm. time or you're wiping up after the kids or the dogs. That can be running the dishwasher every day and you open it and it really has a smell that comes out. That can be your toothpaste and your shampoo. So just looking at something that you're using very frequently, going on an app like the Environmental Working Group's, you know, Skin Deep website or their app, scanning it, looking and seeing what is the toxicity rating there because they test and they go through the ingredients. And then looking at the alternatives and choosing something that has a low rating that's going to be safer. Um, and you and I like to look at the reviews of those things too, because we all our biggest my biggest thing was I don't want to switch to something natural and pay $18 for it. And then it doesn't work well. So going on an Amazon or another site that has reviews of products from people and seeing, do people really like this was very helpful to me. It took some doing, but again, this was a one product at a time. This was not my whole household. And there were some holdouts that took me a while, like that dishwasher detergent. That one took me a long time to find something that was effective and was also natural. But every time before that, I was holding my breath when I opened the dishwasher, which was kind of silly. It does waft out at you too. Yeah. Um, So you have a free toxicity assessment on your website at bodywisdomnutrition.com, right? Can folks work with you further? Like if there are families listening and they say, you know, I could really use some help in figuring out what I need to switch out in my house and what the best products are and how to do it. Do you coach people in that way? I do through my essential oils business. So if people want to make a purchase through me that way and we can 
talk about looking at that lifestyle and how can we switch out one thing at a time over time to, to work towards that. Cause that's what I'm big on is like, what can we ditch and switch? That's going to add up. It doesn't have to all be today. And nobody, you know, very few people have a thousand dollars to like remake their whole household. That's kind of ridiculous, yeah. but we're all going to buy another tube of toothpaste eventually. So can we switch out next time we do that? Those are the things I look at. And with the lifestyle quiz, I look at your body, the household and the mindset. And so which area would be most important for you to focus on first and then giving you five really simple tips to do, you know, to follow up on that after you take that quiz. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that that's out there for anybody to use because I think, you know, it's a tool of awareness as well of things that we do need to start thinking about. Um, just like our conversation that we've had today is, you know, what is it that we're not really thinking about that we're not really aware of, but that we should be. And I talk a lot about that on my blog as well. And within my, my classes that I teach about essential oils is, you know, this is why we need to make these changes. And, oh, did you know, this is the products that are, that are greenwashed. They portray themselves as very great for the environment and great for you, but that's just marketing because there's right. no regulation there. So helping people wade through what those things mean. So you can make informed choices and know what to look for beyond marketing. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. And I think it's a really needed area when we, you know, when our kids get diagnosed with ADHD or with autism, we're not thinking about all of this stuff. We're first thinking about, you know, medication and treatment and what to do. And, um, you know, we're taught to think about these high level symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity and um, inattention. But there's so much more that goes into really doing the best we can for our kids. And this is one of those aspects about, you know, just kind of whole body health and whole environment health makes a difference for these other things that you're living with, like ADHD. Yes, it's really additive. And so you mm -hmm. want to you got to nail down that foundation and get your bearings first and then yep. continue taking these little steps. Yep. And there's so many of them, but this is a really good one. And I hope that a lot of parents will start to be more aware of these things and start thinking about, well, the next time I buy a pan, I'm going to, you know, get the stainless steel and um, just doing little things to make better changes. So like I said, um, I will link up to your website, to um, your blog, the lifestyle um, toxicity assessment is on your website. You also, I know, have a book out and I will link to that as well in the show notes and all of our listeners can access those show notes at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 037. This is episode 37. And so you'll go to the website slash 037 and um, learn more ways to connect with Jennifer and um, all the resources that we've talked about will be linked up there as well. So with that, I thank you very much for giving us a little bit of your time and a lot of wisdom to help us do better for our kids with ADHD. Thank you. Thanks so much, Penny. 
Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.